This is episode number 199 with Associate Professor at NYU Stern School of Business, Kristen Sosolsky. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Very excited to have you on the show. And today I've got a super interesting guest for you. Joining us all the way from New York is Kristen Sosolsky, who is the Associate Professor at NYU Stern School of Business. So what you need to know about Kristen is that she teaches people how to visualize data for a living. That is her job to teach people how to visualize data, how to get insights, how to present the findings and not just um, anybody. Kristen actually teaches managers and leaders and people who go to the NYU Stern School of Business. So as you can imagine, she has tons and tons of experience, not only in the aspect of visualizing data, but also communicating findings and presenting the insights and helping people better understand how to read data and how to understand uh, charts and graphs and all of these amazing things that we can create in the space of data visualization. This has been an amazing podcast. I'm very excited for you to hear it. And some of the things that we discussed on today's show um, were uh, Kristen's third book, which is coming out now. It's actually available on pre-order or at the moment when you hear this podcast, it's actually coming out on Amazon. So make sure to check it out. It's called uh, Data Visualization Made Simple. Uh, we also talk about a visualization for managers and leaders and why that's important. And on the flip side, we talk about using visualization as an entry pathway into data science. So at whatever stage in your career you are now, this is going to be helpful for you. Whether you're a manager or leader or you're just starting out into data science, you will see how you can use the power of visualization to your advantage. We'll go through Kristen's top tips for visualization. This is something you don't want to miss because Kristen has been doing this for a very long time and she knows exactly what people need in visualizations. In fact, we'll actually look at some examples of visualizations in this podcast. Kristen will walk us through how she thinks about visualization in two specific case studies that I will just randomly throw at her, which is quite a fun, it's quite a fun experience. Um, plus, of course, lots and lots more things you'll learn about Kristen's personal journey into data science and the space of data visualization. So there we go, a jam-packed podcast, lots of exciting and interesting topics. Can't wait for you to check it out. So let's dive straight into it. Without further ado, I bring to you Kristen Sosolsky, Associate Professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I've got a very exciting guest on the show, Kristen Sosolsky. Kristen, welcome. How are you going today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. So great to have you. Tell us where you're calling in from. I'm calling in from New York City. Mm -hmm. And the weather there is not the best right now. Not the best. Well, it's close to 70 degrees, but it looks like it might rain. So, mm. And uh, <laughs> I was... I just made the mistake of just before we started making the comment that you guys are moving into winter. What was your reaction? <laughs> no, we're barely in fall. <laughs> yeah. And, and I heard New York is a beautiful time to visit in the fall. Is that, is that true? Like when the leaves are coming off? I think it's the absolute best time. Um, definitely visit New York before, before Thanksgiving, before the holidays pick up. It's really a great, right now is the best time to visit New York. Okay. Awesome. That, that's really cool. Very, very jealous of you. Uh, I'd love to, like in a good way, obviously. I'd love to see New York in the fall. Um, okay, well, thank you again for coming on the show. We've got uh, some very exciting topics to cover. Um, Kristen, you are into the space of data science and visualization, and you have been teaching um, 
this topic for quite a long time in different universities based on what I, I can tell from the LinkedIn. So I'm very excited about diving into this space and learning about your background, learning, learning about your journey. But to get us started, uh, could you, uh, for the sake of like our listeners and everybody who's tuning into this podcast, tell us how you would introduce yourself to somebody off the street. Like, um, who are you and what do you do? Um, okay. <laughs> so my name is Kristen Sosolsky. Um, I'm a professor at NYU Stern School of Business. And um, my area of, you know, my passion, my area of scholarship lies in data visualization technology and this uh, new field called learning science. So it's using technology for education and to help learning. And visualization actually plays a role in that. So it's kind of um, I'm kind of really in a lucky spot right now um, in my role as a, as a professor. Hmm. Gotcha. So, so like on one hand, you're passionate about creating visualizations and explaining data and information through visualization. On the other hand, there's this whole um, new field of learning sciences, as I understand it, where you use visualization to aid uh, and facilitate the learning process. Is that, is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I just, I just released my third book on, on data visualization. It's called Data Visualization Made Simple. Oh, and, congratulations. Um, thank you. And it's really intended like, to you know, help anyone who is looking to get into the field of visualization or just you know, um, do more with the data that they have. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. I mean, you could, oh, I can see it on Amazon. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> Kristen Sosalski. A data visualization made simple insights into becoming visual. Wonderful. There's, there's another whole topic we're going to dive into. And the third book, um, that is crazy. So I'm going to ask you this. I, I uh, released my book at the start of this year. It took me one and a half years of writing. And like I was very excited about it, still am. But it's such a, such a like, complex process, way more complex than I thought, and so much more involved than I thought. Uh, that like, I this is a, like one thing that I'm not even sure if I'm ever gonna write a second book. Maybe, maybe possibly, but <laughs> like I wouldn't jump into it. Like, how how about you? Like, you already this is your third book. Like, where do you find the the inspiration to write them? You know, I, when I wrote when I finished my dissertation, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm never writing a book. <laughs> and then when then when I wrote my first co-authored my first book, which wasn't even myself I was like I'm never doing this again mm. and for some reason um there's just you know if when uh it, it, I just it just kind of struck me I was like I need to kind of write this book on data visualization because all the books out there are fantastic but you know there's something that was missing that didn't really go with you know my teaching style and and meet the needs of, of people in the, the 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 world of analytics and business and, and data science there just needed to be a little bit of a different take and so i saw an opportunity to um to to try to fill that gap okay gotcha so it's more kind of like your um your need and desire to contribute to the world it overpowered <laughs> the other aspects that are involved in writing a book and the fear i guess so uh, that comes along with looking ahead at this huge project that you're about to undertake yeah yeah and then you know not having to be like you know social for about a year and a half you know <laughs> Stay home every weekend and every every work night <laughs> i know i know yeah yeah well very excited about that um i'm gonna pick a copy up myself and Highly recommend to our listeners, Data Visualization Made Simple by Kristen Sosolsky. You can get it on Amazon. Um, very, very interesting. I, I love books on visualization. Do you, do, <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, do you have pictures in your book? Do I have pictures in my book? <laughs> yeah. yeah of course, of course. I love books with pictures. They're the best. It's so easy <laughs> to read. Um, yeah, no, I was, I was joking. Of course, uh, visualization books are going to have pictures. And um, yeah, I, I always like to browse through books pick up some like one one i really liked reading or just even like looking through uh was uh was it called like a year of visualizations where like two ladies one in new york one in london they were like sending each other postcards and they were like doing these hand-drawn visualizations and uh and then like for a whole year once a week so there was like 52 times 2 104 visualizations in there uh, about what they did in there in that week it was really cool like you, you get some great inspiration for your own visualization Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I'll find the title to share with you. 
All right. So we've got uh, we've got a book that you just published, uh, and you work at the NYU Sustainable Business. So tell us a bit about that. So um, what what, uh, what uh, kind of like are you teaching visualization or are you teaching other topics through visualization? Uh, great question. So um, I teach a course called uh, Data Visualization to um, executives and MBA students. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm also teaching a new um, online certificate called Visualizing Data that's open to anybody in the world. So you don't have to be like um, matriculated at, at Stern. And I'm launching that in the spring. So, yes, I'm very lucky. I get to teach visualization mm -hmm. in school. And, um, you know, part of that is really making the business case for why visualization is so important. Uh, for, for managers and it's really you know like a leadership skill being able to communicate right your data insights mm -hmm. uh, your results uh, through visually to to any audience is is critical mm -hmm. yeah definitely and that, that's a very interesting very interesting space for as you say leaders executives managers to see the power of visualization do, do you find that it's Usually, like when when students uh, attend your class for the first time, do you find that this skill is underrated in their eyes, and then you have to turn around, or 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 they're already quite proficient, and you, you just need to add like some um, some extra powerful skills into their arsenal? Uh, that's a that's a great observation. Um, it's 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 underrated. Uh, so when, when students take my class and, and when they've completed it, like they can't look at, you know, a chart or graph the same way ever again. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think it's something that is not so clear from the beginning that, you know, oh, I'm going to be the person creating these visualizations. It's more like, oh, I'm going to have an intern do this when, you know, I'm, when I'm a manager. And then so as, as, as the class progresses, um, it, it becomes clear that you know we have to we have to find ways to to communicate these complex analyses that we that we um, derive to to our stakeholders, whether it's predicting customer conversion or identifying new markets. It's well-designed data graphics can really reveal and trans translate you know important information. Mm -hmm. sure so it really, yeah, and it, it shows like so if you can make a great data graphic of your you know insider result. It shows that you understand your data, and now we can talk about taking action or making decisions with that data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely definitely true. And um, do you find uh, people who attend your class they're like receptive to the idea of like learning data science? Or like, for instance, I can imagine there could be executives or managers who just have the mindset that okay, like uh, data visualization is powerful however just as you mentioned just before that like i'll have somebody else do it like i don't need to be able to do these and, and rightly so like a lot of managers they don't have time to sit down and create a visualization like well what are what are the benefits for managers who are like will never actually be creating these visualizations themselves like uh, what are the benefits of them actually having these skills of understanding how visualizations work oh that's that's a great question so first off i would say to your um, first question about how do students kind of, yeah, are they receptive to this? And I'd say absolutely. Um, it's it's actually amazing how receptive uh, students are. Um, from my class, like several students have even created their own like data viz consulting firms, which I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's amazing. That's um, awesome. So it's, it's really, um, you know, an often overlooked area. And I, and I kind of, the way I sell it um, is it's really the extra 20% that you need to put in. So whether you're writing a business report or, you know, creating a, a, a website or, you know, a dashboard for, for, for executives, it's the extra 20% that really helps um, reveal those important insights so someone can take action. And if you're not building them yourself, like that's totally fine, right? So um, there are people that are really expert in not just visualization, but in you know data modeling and uh, data mining, really understanding uh, the ways in which you know data can help with with prediction and 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 other uh, aspects. 
And so for managers, it's, it's having that knowledge to be able to kind of uh, lead and, you know, critique and offer advice uh, to their colleagues that are doing this work. So not just accepting things at face value, but really to know how to ask the right questions. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking as well. It's um, like for me, for instance, the skills I learned uh, back when I was in, in consulting and doing visualization there, uh, really helped me understand visualizations more. Now. Like even even taking it further, like if we, when I was a kid and I was when I attended art school and like learned how to paint, um, like you know I I never thought like maybe I would have become a painter, but I didn't. But still, those skills they helped me understand better. You know, like how colors work together, what what uh, elements are standing out and what elements should be standing out and why they're not and so on and like just these whole whole concept of aesthetics i think it's important for people to develop that as well oh absolutely absolutely like you know everything from recognizing that you know certain hues together you know can't be really perceived by folks that are colorblind or have even acute colorblindness um and so that's that's really important and just basic like readability like can i see that chart from the back of the room can i yeah. read the lines? um and then just having the um, consideration of the audience, right? Like, just because you put a chart up there doesn't mean that everybody understands the key takeaway. And yep. so providing those explanations and really walking folks through um, that chart or graph. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. And tell us uh, a bit about, like, how did you get into the space? What what made you get started into the area of visualization? Was like a conscious choice or did you end up here by accident? Well, I've always been involved in technology. And... You know, the, the way that I got into visualization was like really kind of like a unique story. But like mm. in a nutshell, I was working for this education center at Columbia University and I started working with this film professor and uh, we were creating digital tech educational technology projects to help students learn. And uh, the idea was to look at a film, a particular scene in a film and be able to deconstruct that and do it all over the web. And this is, you know, in 1999 to actually look at a film and to be able to, you know, cut it into little small pieces and uh, to be able to analyze each particular shot in a film. And through that analysis process, we were, we were kind of stripping out all the narrative and dramatic content and just focusing on the structural elements of film. So we use quantitative values to describe what was happening shot by shot in a film. And at the end, we actually visualized that through a data visualization. Wow. And so to be able to visualize art was such a, <laughs> it just, it totally made my head spin at first. And um, it was such an amazing project that um, from there on out, uh, visualization became part of my practice and um, together with, with, with teaching, like I said, and, and my work with technology. Wow. That is so cool. Uh, I would have loved to see. Do you have the results of that project available somewhere still? I know it's been a while. I do. I do. Um, yeah, it's called The Deconstructor. I can definitely send you a PDF. We did like a little research report on it. Nice. Is it okay to include it in the show notes for our listeners? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Please send it through. We'll definitely include it. It sounds like an interesting project. Um, I can totally see now how you fell in love with this space and visualization is such a, such a great area. And like for the benefit of our listeners, visualization, like a lot of time, like not a lot of time, but like many people have asked uh, me, if you can get into the space of data science without be like getting heavily involved in programming, some people just don't like programming or you know aren't um, you know aren't really passionate about learning how to program, but they are passionate about data science. They see the power of data. So, what would you say in that case, uh, Kristen? Like, is it possible to get into the space of data science and analytics without having to learn programming like too heavily? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm a coder myself and I think that there are, there are tools that are available like, you know, Tableau, or you could even use like Excel that allow you to, to create, you know, dozens of visualizations without knowing you know, so much about coding. Um, the key is to really understand your data and what your data represents in the real world. And with, without an experience in coding, um, 
you still have that opportunity to use these tools to visualize data. So absolutely. Um, again, the key is knowing what your data represents in the real world and knowing if the visualization you create is accurate. Yep, yep, to totally agree with that. Visualization is your pathway into data science. It's like a quick, uh, quick way to get into the space of data science, whether you want to later on learn machine learning, programming skills and, or, or not. Uh, visualization mm -hmm. skills are very going to be very beneficial in either case. Um, okay, well, on that note, let's let's shift gears a bit, and I wanted to uh, like pick your brain on some tips and hacks in visualization. How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay, so first question would be, what goes into a good visualization? What what is what is the difference between, or let's say, great visualization? What's the difference between an average or a good visualization and a great visualization that actually delivers what it's supposed to do. Like, I understand there'll be lots of different elements, lots of different details, but what are like the key cornerstones of a great visualization, in your, in your opinion? Okay, so I would describe the, mo the most important thing of a visualization is that there is a clear takeaway. And I call this the party favor. So, you know, when you go to a wedding, at the end of the wedding, you know, you get you usually get like a little trinket or something to like, you know, remember this day. Oh, yeah. Um, you have to make sure your audience walks away with that little like trinket or that party favor. So important. Um, otherwise, why did you create it in the first place? So it's so important that, you know, your message, message resonates with your audience. And there's a lot of tricks and hacks to like make sure this happens. Like one. Show it to other people in advance. Don't be afraid to show your work and see the reaction. So you're almost like doing a test of, you know, how well one can perceive and interpret um, this graphic. Gotcha. Uh, okay, yeah, totally agree with that. And uh, kind of like the way some people see visualization and probably like the way I saw it before is like you you have something in mind like you put it together and you know, depending on your experience in the space and i was not experienced at all when i was starting out uh you you might already have something close to the final truth or further away but in in essence anything you come up with in your head at the start is probably not going to be the final product it's going to have going to have adjustments and and uh different uh elements that you weren't expecting or something might not fit in you might have to cut something out so it is an iterative process visualization inevitably you're going to have iterations um, of what you're creating. So like starting out and trying to go for the perfect uh, solution right away, I think is a mistake. I think you need to like start out, you put a prototype together. And as you said, Kristen, show it to other people, get their opinion and to see how, how they react to it and then adjust it based on that. Um, and then go through another iteration, another iteration. Would you agree with that? That it's like an iterative process. It's an iterative process and first you start with, I would almost say it's first an exploratory process. Mm. Um, as you as you understand and develop an under, a data understanding or understanding of your data and you start asking better questions of your data as you, as you query it, as you choose to um, uh, select different display types, as you choose to, um, you know, either aggregate or disaggregate your data, right? So are you going to show every point on a map mm -hmm. or are you going to fill in, you know, just more geographic regions? Mm -hmm. Does that tell your story better? Um, and so dealing with the, um, the amount of data or density of your data is also very important. What level of grain are you going to show? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly that. And, um, yeah, so that's probably probably a great starting point. A good visualization or great visualization has to have like a clear picture, a clear takeaway, a clear takeaway that a user is going to get, and you got to show it to other people in, in advance to iterate that process correctly. Any, anything else? Oh, absolutely. So the the second thing is um, consider the format in which the final format of your visualization. Are you going to be presenting it? you know, in a room of a thousand people, like on a PowerPoint or keynote, mm -hmm. or something, something that your audience is going to interact with mm -hmm. online, you know, or on their phones, or is it a report that you're, you know, you're giving, you know, uh, stakeholders, mm -hmm. uh, that's printed out and that, that format really does make a difference on how you design it. So you design for interaction if it's going to be online. Uh, you design for, you know, clear readability and you probably add a lot more text if it's going to be printed. 
And if you're going to show it, you're probably going to not show as many details and think about your role in narrating and walking someone through that chart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Uh, and t- t- tell me, I'd like to get your opinion, your professional opinion on this. So I've, uh, my, my thinking around uh, visualizations, especially, especially in the case, or specifically in the case when you're presenting it, is uh, indeed it's very different to if you just hand it over as an interactive online tool or a report. Uh, because in the case when you're presenting it, I feel that the audience's attention should be on you rather than on the visualization. Like the visualization should be assisting you and therefore it should be minimal text, minimal like confusing things. It should be like one picture at a time and then you tell the story and people are focusing on you rather than reading the slides. Do you, do you agree or do you have a different opinion on that? I absolutely agree. And um, one of my favorite visualization designers is Donna Wong, and she says precisely that, mm. um, that she is the presentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's different, though, if you send it, like you say, as an interactive report or a PDF report, you're not there. So it becomes like a whole art. How do you incorporate yourself and your story into the visualization as like footnotes or as call outs and and other ways like that. that. That's very interesting, isn't it? It really is. And, and you know, in, in a report, like how would you guide somebody to, you know, to look at the particular um, aspects of the chart that you want to draw their attention to? So you might use, you know, different colors or shading. You might use call outs. You might show the graph, you know, in different stages, almost like a progressive reveal, you know, mm. frame by frame. Um, with some text in between that explains what's happening. So you can kind of pace the, the reader as they go through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's a very interesting idea about doing it like gradually um, frame by frame. That's that's very cool. Um, by the way, I want, while we're on this, uh, uh, is, is this what your book is about? Like, do you give tips on how to visualize things better and like dissect visualizations in, in your book? Or, or like, is it, is it got a bit of a different angle? No, absolutely, absolutely. So there's a there's a huge chapter all on the design and the aesthetics of visualization. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole chapter on picking the right chart, mm-hmm. um, and that's all based and driven on your data. Um, there's a whole chapter on on data and different data formats and yeah. how those um, are really important to consider the format of our data to get the type of visualization that we want, so we don't make errors. Mm-hmm. So for those non-data science folks, that chapter is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have I have a chapter on audience, mm-hmm. which is how to relate and resonate with your audience with that key takeaway. And also a whole chapter on presentation, like mm-hmm. different tips and tricks for presenting with data graphics specifically. Wow, that's, that's very cool. I, I'm so glad you included that because uh, a lot of the time, you know, that, that's the place where the dropout happens, like people create a, do the analysis, do the insights, and even create a beautiful visualization. And then like, they are, they don't, like they don't follow through to really act as the bridge between the insights and the business decision makers. That, that's where the real value is, right? Like the visualization can be amazing and insights can be like really life-changing or business-changing, but unless you can communicate it to the people who are going to act on them, what's the point? You said it perfectly. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, well, uh, if you don't mind, without like disclosing uh, or giving away the whole book, let's go through a couple of these chapters and maybe you can give us like one tip from each one of them. How does that sound? That sounds great. That sounds great. Okay, well, let's start with the one uh, with a pick a chart chapter. So how, how do you pick charts? And, uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> favorite question everybody has about pie charts. When do you use and when do you not use a pie chart? Okay, so I'll answer the second question question first. Okay, yeah. so every every pie chart can be, you know, converted to a bar chart. Mm, true. So if you're ever in question, oh, should I use a pie or a bar? Well, you can always use a bar, but you can't always use a pie. Mm. And so why? Because you can only have a certain number of slices in a pie. Mm-hmm. You know that as soon as you put more than six or seven slices of a pie, it's really hard to distinguish between uh, those different areas, right? Yep. Uh, especially if they're kind of close in size. So we're just better as humans in perceiving, you know, length over area. Mm-hmm. So picking a bar is just like generally a better choice. Um, but, you know, I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, you can't have a pie chart. Like if you want to have a pie chart for some variety, I think that's like perfectly fine as long as it's saying something. 
Thank you. Uh, if you're showing me my chart that's split in half with 50-50, that's not really safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. I like. I I understand the whole call, like hassle about pie charts that you know i agree like if it's got i would even go as far as saying more than three parts of a pie like a bit way like too many uh but like i don't know sometimes people are like so adamant about don't use pie charts don't like i agree with you like if if it fits if it looks good if it says a story use a pie chart but you know try other than that try to stay away from them i guess yeah, definitely. Like, you know, if you're saying like you want to show a proportion of a whole of, you know, people who use different um, types of devices like their laptop versus mobile versus mm. tablet. OK, mm. well, you can show that in a pie chart and it might actually show you very clear the proportion of people that, you know, convert, um, you know, buy your products uh, on their iPhone versus, you know, their tablet. So mm -hmm. that, that's, I think, a fine, a fine use. OK, gotcha. And uh, <laughs> now moving on to that. Other question, how, how do we go about picking a chart? There's so many different types of charts to choose from. How, how, do, you, how do you think about this? So besides thinking about the, the question that we want to ask of our data, we really have to have an understanding of our data. Mm. So if we have time series data, this means that now we can choose time series displays. So this mm. means line charts, area charts, for instance. Um, but if we don't have time series data, we can't pick a line chart. Uh, same for if we want to map locations, we need geospatial data. So I'm not going to map locations, you know, it's probably not going to be a great use of a bar chart to map like 30 locations. It's going to be very hard to see, you know, those, those differences. Uh, but perhaps if I want to show a uh, location, I could do that on a, on a map. And so I would need latitude or longitude, or I would need, you know, a zip code or area code or country code. Um, some type of geospatial data. And so it limit. it really, the data does really limit your choice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's a good point. Okay. So let's say we've, we've narrowed it down and, um, let's say it's, um, let's say it's time series data. And mm -hmm. for instance, I have a specific example. How do I choose between, uh, let's say I'm plotting the, uh, unemployment rates, for the US in the past 10 years, um, month by month, and I can either plot it as a line chart and, and, and it's split by it's split by age groups, you know, like uh, 18 to 25, 25 to 35, 35, and so on. So I can plot it as a line chart and I have, I'll have like five lines on one chart, or I can mm -hmm. plot it as an area chart, for example, mm -hmm. where we're kind of like you have, you know, the first 18 to 25 and then the, and it's all, all shaded in, and then after that, you got the next line above it. They kind, of, they kind of stack on top of each other, and they're shaded in. Yeah. So, which one would you choose? Like, I, I, you know, I've encountered that that dilemma before, and both are valid. Both uh, represent the data quite well. But uh, how do you make the decision? Which one is the best one? Great, that's a really great question. And so, if you want to see the proportional change in unemployment. Um, amongst the different groups, mm -hmm. this is where you would choose your stacked area. Mm -hmm. And visually, your stacked area also looks very compelling. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to show the stacked area um, in a presentation, you know, the, the, those colors or different shades would be very vivid, mm -hmm. right? And you could label directly in those areas. So it, it, could, it could tell a very compelling story. Um, another great thing about the stacked area is that you can make it a hundred percent stacked area, mm -hmm. um, or you could actually just use the, the absolute values. Mm -hmm. Um, then you can see the percentage change, mm -hmm. uh, which is also a very, a nice, a nice telling metric. So you have a, you have a little bit, you have a few more options with the, the stacked area also for interactivity. So if viewers are going to, going to be um, seeing this chart online, being able to mouse over and just click on a, on a particular stacked area um, could reveal additional information. Mm -hmm. So you have the opportunity to, um, to, to add additional variables, for instance, uh, for each data point. Uh, the line chart is, is great and it will, it, will, it will tell you literally you know, how those values and each, each value for each month per, uh, per category or demographic. Uh, which is fine. I, I think for uh, showing just the unemployment rate in a general um, trend is best with a line. 
but in the circumstance that you pointed mm -hmm. out, I would like to see that as a stacked area. Okay, gotcha. Thank you for explaining it so so succinctly. Yeah, I can see now that you, if you want to compare them one against the other, or you have like, as you said, it's more vivid if it's a area chart. That's that's very cool. All right, well, let's do another one. Um, this is fun. <laughs> this is fun. Um, because I, I know in your uh, on your LinkedIn profile you say you said that you do consulting in the space of data visualization. So like we get we we're getting a free consultation right now. So <laughs> might as well make the most of it. Um, okay, let's say I have um, uh, categorical data. So let's say I have sales by different product, and let's say we sell chairs, tables, and all this different type of furniture. Um, and I want to see. I want to compare them and see which ones are, you know, selling better, which ones are selling worse, and what's what's going on. Uh, you know, like maybe sort them by highest sales, volume sales to lowest. Um, would I use a bar chart or would I use a tree map? And just for the sake of our listeners, if uh, if you're just starting on to, to visualization, tree map has nothing to do with trees. It's just like a big box that is. You've probably seen this chart where there's like. Uh, the biggest part then there's like boxes inside of a box. It's like this box is like split into lots of little boxes I'm probably not doing it doing well explain. How would you describe a tree a tree map? Kristen so, so a tree map um, uh, a, a Famous scholar by the name of Ben Schneiderman um, came up with um, many algorithms for something called a tree map um, and so it's the arrangement of um, categorical data and by by proportion, so it might be by proportion of profit, proportion of sales by mm -hmm. product, mm -hmm. and so the larger the rectangle with you know picture picture a one large rectangle and dissecting that into you know ten pieces, and each of the ten pieces would represent a product, mm -hmm. and those the size of those ten pieces would all be different based on some numerical value like sales or profit. Wow. Described by a professional. That was such a great explanation. I think everybody, everybody can uh, totally understand that, uh, <laughs> even, even if they've never seen a tree map before. So, so yeah, going back to the question, um, tree map or bar chart just describe, you know, volumes of sales? Mm, okay. Um, volume of sales. So, like, for instance, if you were going to show the most popular products mm -hmm. by, say, sales, I would love to see that as a horizontal bar chart to show rank. Mm -hmm. Okay, clearly, you know, the, the the longest bar we would be on top would be range horizontally, and I would know that, like, wow, those you know beautiful you know churner chairs are selling, and they're they're very profitable, and they're they're our biggest seller um, at a thousand dollars a pop, right? So, yeah. like, <laughs> um, so that would be um, for popularity. We like to use horizontal for any kind of rank. Um, if you want to see, let's, let's make the example a little bit more, uh, sophisticated. Complex. Yeah. Okay. So we have a tree map that represents every, uh, furniture product by a large category. So we would have something like chairs as one big rectangle. We'd have something as tables as another rectangle. And, you know, let's say that there's 10 different types of uh, furniture products and tables, coffee tables, desks, and uh, showing which area is more profitable. Um, so we have this view of our business, furniture business, and the largest rectangle would show us which product area is more, most profitable. Then I can drill down and click on, let's say they are chairs, click on that large rectangle that says chairs, and then I can zoom in and see which chair is now most pro profitable. Mm. So tree maps are great for interactivity when you want to drill down. Okay. You get the big picture. You get the big picture at first. Out of all the furniture in my furniture store, which, which category is the most profitable? Oh, chairs. Now I can click on chairs, drill down, and I can see which type of chair is most profitable. Mm. So it's kind of like a tree map inside a tree map. Exactly. So they're they're best used when you can um, use them on like a dashboard display or you know web based display where you can drill down and, and interactive. Less useful if you're presenting it to an executive. They're they're pretty hard to interpret. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. So that even means that. If you're, you have the same insights 
And if you were like presenting them to executives, you might use a bar chart. But then once you delivered that presentation and now they want that interactive tool, you might change it up and send and create like a tree map uh, inside a tree map type of uh, scenario and send that because it's better for interactivity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with maybe, you know, like a sentence or two or a minute or two of training just to describe what this display is actually doing just mm. so they understand the use. Because like I said, it's not something that like it, all of a sudden we see a tree map and we immediately understand what it means. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that uh, quick, those quick insights. I think that was great two examples of picking a chart, even though, even though simple and I actually can, can sense, right? Like right now we've got a few listeners, maybe a few hundred listeners listening to this who are like, well, I'm, I'm in machine learning. I'm, I want to go into that space. Visualization is not for me. Just, just for the benefit of uh, people in that mindset, I want to say that visualization is for everybody. That is where, that is the language, you know, machine learning is great and programming is fantastic, but that's the language of computers. At the end of the day, the value that data science brings is how much does it add to the bottom line of a business or how does it change lives? How does it help a non-profit? Like what is the actual change? And that is translated through business decisions. And as we already mentioned in this podcast, you need to be able to communicate your insights to people who are making these decisions. And therefore, visualization is important. And in this case, we looked at two like relatively simple examples of visualization, but like even I for myself already learned something about uh, air, like area charts and uh, tree maps and so on. So I think that's a great start. We're not going to go dig, uh, digging deeper into that. I'm sure you described that quite well in your book or awesomely in your book uh, in that chapter of picking a chart. Let's move on to the next one. Let's talk about um, the formats of data. You said for people who are starting out into data science, this would be a valuable chapter. Tell us a bit more about that. Oh, absolutely. So a lot of times when we get you know, um, time series data, for instance, it's not organized or structured in a way that we can visualize it. So for instance, there might be, there might be a year for every column. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if, and, and if you think about plotting something on an X and Y axis and you want to plot all years mm -hmm. on the X axis and all values on the Y axis, you would think that you would have a column for year and a column for value. A lot of times the data structure, especially if you get it from like the World Bank or something, um, where you actually have a year for each column. So now you're thinking, well, what am I supposed to put on the x-axis? I have mm. to drag every year? Mm -hmm. And a lot of software programs won't allow you to do that. And so what you need to do is to take this wide format and actually convert it or pivot it, it's called. Mm. A lot of you might have heard of pivot tables, of course, uh, to pivot your data. So now you have a column for every year and a column for every value. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, yep, that's, that's one of the examples, pivoting. And it's kind of like translating data format from what humans are better used to reading and understanding where you know every call every year has its own column to something that machines are better at reading it that's where all of the years are in one column so the all of the categories of or all of the compo types of one category what, what is it called by the way when you have like a category and then you have like sub sub elements in a category the different years what they would would they be in the year category um, do you mean like there would be a different time dimension or? No, I mean like, okay, we have a, a category of year and then, yes. and then like each individual year, what is that called? Oh, each individual year would just be like a value. Oh, It'll okay. Be yeah. Like observation. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> such, such a silly question. All right. So each value in your category is contained within that one column. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. And, but, yeah. And like, this is a something that Hadley Wickham, um, who's, who's, you know, at our studio and does a, um, has written a lot about this, but it's, it's called tidy data. So you have every observation in a row and every variable in a column. Mm. And so that's like, that's like the foundation. So just taking a look at your data and making sure that it's in that tidy form is going to save you hours. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the, that's like one of the biggest takeaways from the book. And, you know, I have, I have many others where we talk about like how you aggregate your data or how you can present different metrics besides the values that you just have alone. So how you can calculate new metrics based mm -hmm. on your data. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's also, that's also an important, uh, kind of like feature engineering type of thing. 
Yeah, yeah, or even something like, you know, um, the five-day moving average or year-over-year percentage change, those types of things, um, you know, require, you know, like a small calculation and usually – um, most these software programs will, you know, have have a function to do it, so it doesn't take any coding. But just knowing that that exists uh, is really important. I'll give you one more example. Let's say I, I'm I'm studying my customer base, and I have I have their age. Now, in a bar graph, I can plot every age of my customer, and that's mm. going to be pretty boring, right? It's going to be maybe from like 18 to like 82. Yeah. Um, and I have a bar for each age. And so what you can do instead is reduce the level of detail that you provide and actually group age into different bins. Mm-hmm. So I might have 18 to 25 in one bin, you know, 26 to, you know, 32 in another bin. Um, and this, this makes the, the data much more interpretable. I can look at these more logical groupings. Mm. Yeah, and to your point, what I once discovered for myself was that when you're doing data visualization, you are always inevitably reducing the amount of information that you have. So you have some data. It's kind of like when sculptors are working with marble or something. They have this big block of marble uh, and then they carve out of it. So they're always going to reduce the amount of material, the amount of whatever they started with to, to create the final result. And in visualization, so it's okay to to think about it in, that, in those terms, like you said, in this case, how about reduce the level of granularity and go from, you know, instead of one bar for every year, have a bar for 18 to 25, a bar for 25 to 35. So there's nothing wrong with it because in visualization, if you think about it, how, like, there's no way for you to add data to your, add more information to your, to your initial data. If you're doing that, then you are manipulating the data, then you are you know, doing something like you, you're making something up. So kind of like that mindset of, yes, I'm going to, I'm just going to see how I'm going to reduce the information that I'm providing to my user in order to still maintain uh, the insights that I want to convey to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. Thank you. Okay. Awesome. So that was on formatting data. Let's move on to the next one. Um, you meant, The next one was how to relate oh sorry I, I forgot what was the name of the chapter the next chapter oh it's just called oh the audience chapter. Oh, okay yeah the audience yeah. chapter uh, great so and you i think you started by saying how to kind of relate to your audience yeah but, that's the one yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well first of all it's great to know a little bit about them yeah and i know this sounds like pretty obvious but and you know you might not think about this when you're creating a visualization like really thinking about understanding your audience but it's so important like what do they already know what don't they know and we could take this do you know for instance we talked about the tree map before are they familiar with more complex types of visualizations if not this might not be the time to introduce them to one unless you're going for some type of wow factor or you're planning on taking so, uh, quite a bit of time to explain mm. it. Um, so this is just one example of like, um, or the, what they already know. Another way to look at prior knowledge is to really think about um, how you can build upon it. So can you, in your narrative, can you build on something they already know, an experience you know that they've already had? You know, even if it's like, you know, taking the subway to, you know, work or something like that, but something that you know that there's some kind of common baseline that you can start from. It's a great way just to engage and get people, you know, paying attention and, you know, along with you for for that um, narrative that you're um, that you're describing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a great way of putting it. And I think I've, I've definitely been in a situation where I picked to explain something to my audience uh like a a certain type of distribution and i knew consciously that they're not ready for this i'm gonna have to spend time on that that's that's a great tip that know know your audience and know what they know and what they don't know and like how how are you going to use that to advantage fantastic uh well we're not going to go into the one on how to present because we talked about that a little bit already uh before but what i wanted to do now is I wanted to go for a rapid fire list of questions and so like uh, get your opinion on like some different topics. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. 
Okay, so first one will be, um, we've talked about some good tips and hacks already on visualization and um, how people can en enhance their skills. Uh, what are some of the common mistakes people make when they're creating data visualization? Some, some things that you've seen that really stand out and uh, our listeners want to avoid at all costs. Okay, so a common mistake you know, as a professor is they forget to cite their data source. Mm. So they don't tell the audience where the data came from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, especially if you're using, uh, like, even if you're using internal company data, right? Like, you still it can come from so many different sources. It's a, it's important for like uh, even an audit trail to to know that, right? Absolutely, and make sure you put the year down. And it's also important to cite yourself. So, as the author of that data graphic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, anything else? Oh, absolutely. So. Um, another one is what I call like data integrity or lying with data. Um, really easy to do this with a bar chart, not setting your y-axis to zero. Mm -hmm. um, tends to over-exaggerate the change in the data um, that's not really there mm -hmm. by an over-exaggeration of the change in the length of bars of the graphic itself. Mm -hmm. So if you don't set the y-axis to like bottom and to zero, is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that one. Uh, Andy Kriebel from the um, data data school, uh, the information lab. Uh, he he talks a lot about that. That uh, oh, he I've heard him talk about it. That yeah, if you if your x if your x axis crosses the y axis at like somewhere above zero or below zero, yeah. then and you got bar charts, vertical bar charts, then you're in for a lot of trouble. Gonna be Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, all right, and, and maybe another one. Okay, so um, color, so using color sparingly. We tend to like to use color to highlight. Yeah. Um, sometimes that I see that people end up highlighting everything, so <laughs> nothing stands out. Yeah. So if you want something to stand out, you could use a contrasting color. Um, and I always say the most underused color in the data viz world is gray, and I'm boring. I really like gray, and I like to use color, uh, you know, like a like a bright green or or any other color that would contrast with that. If I want something to stand out, like my most important data point. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. How how great is color? Like just with by changing the colors in one visualization, you can take it from. You know something that is average to a really great visualization, but like like picking the right color combination. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. All right, um, cool. So next uh, rapid fire question is, um, what are some of the favorite data visualizations you've seen others create? Oh my gosh, there there are so many. Um, so I'll, I'll I guess I'll just list them off. So <laughs> I love um, you know. Uh, Basically, there's one by Lee Byron and David McCandless, which is peak breakup times on Facebook. <laughs> I've seen that one. Yeah, that one is like so fun. And I always use that in my class because um, how how they go through that visualization, they have this kind of progressive disclosure. First, they show you the chart. They don't even tell you what the data is. Mm. They have to think about it. And the second thing is then he puts the title of the chart you know, peak Facebook breakup times, you yeah. know, uh, and then you're, then you start laughing, but, and then he annotates the chart for you. He says, okay, it looks like, you know, a low point might be around the holidays and a high point for breakups is like, you know, around spring break. Yeah. And so just the way he guides you through it yeah. is why I love it so much. But yeah. all it is, it's an area chart. It's yeah. nothing fancy. It's the way that it's delivered is what is why I love it so much. Yeah, and humor is important, isn't it? Like, you can deliver the same chart in a very dry, monotonous voice or with a bit of humor, a bit of, like, audience engagement it makes the wor a world of a difference. Yeah, yeah. And then just, like, on a more serious note, Vox did this amazing um, video called The State of Gun Violence in the U.S. explained mm. in 18 mm. charts. And um, a lot of those charts are bar charts. And uh, the... Uh, they use annotation, so somebody with a red marker actually marking off the different bar charts and annotating it as the narrative is going. So that mm. one is fantastic. I would definitely share that with your viewers. Okay, okay, that's that's a good one. Um, anything else? Um, you know, I love anything that Amanda Cox does um, from the New York Times uh, graphic team. Mm. Uh, she's 
there's a there's a famous chart about how people spend their time from the American Time Usage Survey of the U.S. Census. Mm -hmm. And one of the thing is that you can compare how employed people versus unemployed people spend their time. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of humor there because there's a category for like leisure, like movies. Yeah. And uh, you'll see over the course of a day. Um, the viewership of uh, movies and television for unemployed versus employed people, and the answer is obvious. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's awesome! Um, yeah, there's there's quite a few gems online, and uh, some some places to find them. Like uh, before the podcast, I mentioned Nadie Bremer's VisualCinnamon.com. That's that's a great source of fantastic visualizations, really well made about professional topics and, and just some of her hobbies. Uh, another one I know is, uh, well, obviously the Tableau public repository where you can you look at the featured items. They're quite cool. Um, um, uh, Michael Bostock has a website for D3. I think it's called blocks.bl.ocks.org uh, or something like that. Um, yeah, and he, he has some really powerful visualizations there. A anything else that comes to mind, like where people can actually find lots of different visualizations um, in one place. Oh, I, I love the flowing data website. Oh, yeah. Nathan, yeah. Uh, he's, I'm a big fan of Nathan Yao. He does a lot of visualization in, in R mm -hmm. and, um, a lot of it is, uh, you know, around topics that everybody can kind of resonate with. So, um, being someone coming from business, it's always fun to see visualizations that, um, I'll never be able to create because they're <laughs> much, <too> <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Much more beautiful. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Flowing data. Flowing data is a good one as well. So that's something to check out. We'll, we'll include all of these links in the show notes as well for our listeners. Um, okay. Cool. So that was uh, uh, that question. Let me see what else we got here. Um, all right. This one. What fascinates you about data visualizations? What, what's the thing that makes you get up in the morning and be so excited about your job? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, so much. I mean, just, uh, gosh, it's such a tool for like, you know, it's just to investigate your data. It's like, it's such a pleasant way to approach, you know, a data problem, mm -hmm. uh, by, you know, coming, kind of coming up with a question and be able to like dig down and explore and, you know, struggle and wrangle it with it, with it for a while. And at the end, come up with something that actually can help, you know, humans better understand a phenomena. Uh -huh. I think is amazing and being able to have this medium at our disposal um, because is that's what that's what makes me wake up every day besides you know my family and my son <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally it's uh it's um very I I'm actually quite glad we are not just machines we just look at numbers and you know like you sometimes you see like an excel spreadsheet with thousand columns and million rows Imagine if you could just look at it and understand it, how boring would that be? Like when you didn't need visualizations. Like visualization, there's so much creativity involved, color, um, just feeling even. And it makes, I think it makes things much brighter and this whole, whole profession of data science and analytics much more um, pleasant, I guess, to be and exciting to be in. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we expect it these days too. We expect have a visualization to help and guide with that interpretation mm. yeah yeah totally um okay next question uh interesting question on technology and the rate of change how like we know we know that data science is growing exponentially technology is evolving exponentially what do you find in terms of data visualization how is data visualization evolving as technology improves oh oh my goodness so um the tools are just getting, you know, so much better. And we have like lots of categories for visualization tools. Like where you have your basic productivity applications that we've been using, you know, forever, like Excel or something. But there's also now these, you know, other free applications like Google Charts that allow us to create like interactive online visualizations and a snap with when we have a small amount of data. Um, and then when we when we get much more sophisticated in our practice and working with larger data sets, we have we have programs like Tableau, ArcGIS. Um, that are and, and, and robust business intelligence tools that allow us to create dashboards to have data that's streaming and dynamic, like right at our fingertips. 
so that's really, really amazing. Mm. And, you know, the coders out there, there's been so much development on visualization packages in, in R and Python, JavaScript, you mentioned D3 before. So um, a lot a lot of new, you know, chart types are, are really evolving. And um, we're we're emphasizing the audience a lot more with having interactive elements as well. Yeah, wow, that that is, that's a very good overview of, of all of that. I'd be just, uh, do you, are you familiar with the Gartner Magic Quadrant? Um, yes. yes. Yeah. So I've been observing it for the past couple of years, and it's been very interesting to see how all of these different players, the IBM, Microsoft, Tableau, Click, uh, and and some others, are they all like participating and how like before it was just tableau that was like the top company in in the space but now like everybody's catching up and all of their features all of their um you know missions and ways they they present uh they allow users to create visualizations are becoming more and more on one hand sophisticated in what they can produce on the other hand easier in terms of actual usage and it's just it's just uh, been really cool to see how all of these companies have shifted into that very lucrative space of the magic quadrant and uh yeah it's just just in a very exciting space to be in actually on that note i wanted to ask you um do you think that technology will ever take over visualization from humans like will will uh the skill at some point become obsolete and just machines will be visualizing things for us on like automatically That's a really, really interesting question. I mean, I think there are um, there there are certainly you know um, tons of instances now where you know our data is visualized for us you know dynamically. Um, someone had to start and kind of create those those archetypes, um, right? For you to show you your your progress on your running app or how many calories that you lost or um, you know uh, on your dashboard displays for you know uh, stock price. Uh, etc. So those things are already happening in like a dynamic way. I, I think that um, there's always going to be a need for um, for inquiry and inquiry based, you know, dri inquiry driven by humans. And so anytime we have a question and we're looking for data to answer that question, we might have to actually uh, mine that data uh, for insights and to see if we can find those answers. And if we decide we want to visualize those answers, uh, we'll probably still have, there's still, there'll still be some, I think, labor involved in that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I guess so. I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't want the machines to take everything. Okay, well, that's, that's fantastic. Um, all right, well, we're slowly, slowly coming to the end or quickly <laughs> approaching the end of pause. Can you imagine that it's already been close to an hour that we've been chatting? Oh my God, this has been really fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, what I wanted to also ask you is, uh, before I let you go, what is, uh, oh no, even before we do that, I have an important, exciting announcement that we discussed. Um, just before the start of the podcast, uh, I spoke to Kristen and First of all, uh, for all of those of you who are coming to Data Science Go um, 2018, uh, which is at the time when this is released, is going to happen in the coming weekend, Kristen might be there and you might get to meet her in person. And But the most exciting part is Kristen will be joining us as a speaker at Data Science Go 2019 next year. Super excited about that. Kristen, how do you feel? Oh my God, it's such an honor. Thank you so much, Grill. <laughs> oh, it's such an honor for us. Like uh, you, uh, I, I, I forgot I should have introduced you as Professor uh, Kristen at the start. Your professor at NYU is going to be so exciting for us and our audience to have you there and for you to share all of your amazing insights with, with everybody. So very, very much looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Likewise, uh, likewise. Awesome. Okay, so uh, on that note, um, what is the best way for our listeners to contact you? So after listening to this podcast, maybe... Uh, somebody might want to take one of your classes at NYU or maybe engage you for a consulting job or maybe they just want to follow your career and see where it goes from here and uh, what kind of amazing visualizations you're going to create in the future. Uh, the easiest way is Twitter. So it's just my last name, at S-O-S-U-L-S-K-I, at Sosolsky. 
on Twitter is really the best way to contact me. Uh, but you could also feel free to email me at ks123 at nyu.edu. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so Twitter, email, uh, is it okay for listeners to connect on LinkedIn as well? Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. And everybody, I will remind you once again, the book, don't forget to pick it up. It's called Data Visualization Made Simple Insights into Becoming uh, Visual. On that note, thanks so much, Kristen, for being on the show today. Very, very exciting. And I can't wait to meet you in person, whether it's at this Data Science Go or at the next one. Same here. Thank you so much, Karel. This is a blast. So there you have it. That was Professor Kristen Sosalski all the way from the New York Stern School of Business. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did and got lots of valuable takeaways. For me personally, one of the most valuable ones was uh, something I already used in my career, but it was very nice to hear it reiterated by a person who professionally teaches data visualization. And that is the fact that when you, uh, you need to think of the formats differently when you present in person versus when you create an on online interactive tool and when you create a PDF, a downloadable PDF report. So it might be the same findings, but because, you because they're presented in different mediums, you need to think of how you'll present them differently. I'm sure you had your own takeaways. Um, jam-packed, this episode was jam-packed with uh, lots of interesting knowledge and um, fun insights. Make sure to check out Kristen's book. It's called Data Visualization Made Simple. And as you heard from Kristen herself, she will be joining us for Data Science Go 2019 as a speaker. So if you enjoy this podcast, you're definitely going to enjoy her speaking there. Uh, you'll be able to buy the uh, DSGO 2019 tickets on pre-sale very soon. So check them out next week. Um, at the same time, Kristen might be joining us for Data Science Go 2018, which is happening this weekend. I can't wait for this to happen. I'm actually, I'm recording this while I'm on my way to San Diego, so I'm already gonna be there when you're listening to this. Can't wait to see you in person if you're coming to Data Science Go 2018. If you haven't picked up your tickets yet, you can get them at www.datasciencego.com. So, Make sure to head on over there. Last chance to get your ticket and have fun with 400 other data scientists who are going to skyrocket their careers this weekend. Once again, tickets are www.datasciencego.com and I can't wait to personally meet you this weekend in San Diego. And until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>